When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your host, Ryan Key, and I just want to know how good does it feel, Nick, to hear that music again, that su- <laughs> those sweet, sweet horns. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that I'm, I'm back, baby. <laughs> I'm in a little bit of a different area in my house, but... I kind of dig it. I think it looks cool behind me. There's a lot of vibe going on. Yeah, I'm able to utilize my flat screen, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you're in a hyperspace lane right now, just cruising. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's sick. Yeah, no, this, it's great. Nick will be traveling uh, to a different system the entire recording tonight, so safe travels, buddy. <laughs> yeah, by the time I wake up tomorrow, I'll be uh, in the unknown regions. Yeah, no, it's great. I've been home, uh, let's see, what's today, Tuesday? Yeah, I've been home about five days, not without... American Airlines turning my five-hour travel day into a 13-hour travel day. <laughs> you love on it. On my way home. As is tradition. I love to see it. Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted, you know, after six weeks of being on tour. Thanks a lot, American Airlines. I hope you die. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's very awesome. Well, I don't think American Airlines is doing the best financially <laughs> of all of the airlines. So, you know, you might get your wish. <laughs> I miss TWA, you know. Those are the days. <laughs> Speaking of traveling through hyperspace, we're probably going to put some time in next week and actually talk about this, but we should mention that we thank the maker. Are you going to say it? I'm going to say it. You're going to say it. Yeah. (laughs) Do it. We, along with our friend Mike Forrester from Hondo Supply from Armor Party Show and some other friends, we're taking a cruise. (laughs) Yes, we are. The Galactic Star Cruiser. The tickets are booked. Second ever voyage. Dude, I have goosebumps. Oh my God. Mm. So do you think... There's a first, first voyage, though, right, for yeah. for J.J. Abrams and Mark Hamill, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that happens. Then Club 33 mm-hmm. and Golden Oak get their trip. Then us. Yeah, I think so. It, that has to be what, ha- what, what it is. Yeah. I mean, th- this cocky, maybe? Don't get cocky, kid. But <laughs> that would probably make us the first podcast to cover the Star Cruiser. It's got to be. Maybe not. Never tell me the odds. But I think <laughs> there are good odds that Thank the Maker will be the first podcast to cover the galactic star cruiser i think i think amongst yeah could be wrong amongst the first because there could i mean look yeah like i said there could be a a, a pre pre trip where they like have media coming and mm-hmm. maybe there are podcasts that are like you know the big ones on the podcast panel at, at celebration or something that are getting invited that could happen but i think that could also not happen i think it could be like the new york times get to go yeah. you know right so we could be the first pod to cover it. It's just crazy. Maybe we're the first and the New York Times have to reference us. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. That's our break. That's our break. To quote, thank the maker. <laughs> Source, thank the maker. Nick Gann Battle Droid. <laughs> I've been told by a cast member that they're doing like a test cruise for friends and family of the cast members. Cool. So there's that. But yeah, general public, we're right up there, man. It's it, it's unreal. It says in the email we are on the second voyage. 
So that means six days in. Like there's it's three so days dope. before us, and we are the next three days yeah. of that first week. That's oh. I'm texting uh, Mark Bricky right now because he seems like someone who would be on like the first ish. So I'm asking him if he actually got if he booked mm. it or not. So we'll see. I was telling my I was like I texted my parents. It was funny. I texted my parents like we got on the <laughs> you know, and they were like, what What is that? What is that? <laughs> what does that mean? Going out of space. I'm going to Star Wars. And so I told them, you know, like, and they were like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing. My parents love Star Wars. They do. They, they I'll show up at their, I've said this before on the pod, I'll show up at their house and just Return of the Jedi is just on. It's the coolest <laughs> shit ever. But they were like, oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And of course, dad's like, oh, so who hooked you up? <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, no, no, we, we have to pay for it. <laughs> and he was yeah. like. I don't, all right. And then the conversation like ended, <laughs> like, was it cool anymore? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause I'm sure at some point last year I was like, it cost $400,000 for 48 hours, <laughs> you know? So whatever, I'll sell my firstborn. I'm ready. <laughs> Babies are overrated anyway. So we'll, we'll cover that in depth. We'll probably talk about it next week. We might do a whole episode about it. We'll see. And then of course, coverage to no end once it actually happens. A segue. Let's try a segue. Speaking of little kids. Hey, <laughs> we're here for Star Wars What If Part 3. This is going to be, this probably be a four-parter, right? We're going to do the, yeah. the sequel trilogy and that would be it. Mm-hmm. Can I just say this has been one of my favorite series we've done? Can I just say that? Dude, I love it. Dude, our Listeners pe- uh, seem to love it too. People love it? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not checking the old analytics at all. So people dig it? Yeah. And I, cool. I, a few folks who I work with that listen seem to be stoked. So yeah, right. good times. Well, glad to have Nick back for this one. For sure. Yeah. That was that was the one thing I was hearing. Not enough Nick <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, first two episodes. It's popular opinion. I was like, it's actually 0%. They're like, yeah, that's not <laughs> enough. <laughs> so this week we're talking about the prequel trilogy, the what-ifs of the early drafts, early story ideas that Lucas had. It's very Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith heavy in terms of the what-ifs. And even that is very little compared to what's out there for the original trilogy. Because uh, I think Lucas just kind of kept it close to the chest being the sole writer rather than the way the other ones went down. When you deliver the joke, I have a theory when we get <laughs> okay. to it. So no, no real segments on this one either, but we do have an alternate opening crawl for the Phantom Mentis, Mentis, <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom Menace, which Ryan Key's going to read right now. It is a time of decay in the Republic. The taxation of trade routes to the tiny planet of Utapau is in dispute. Hoping to force a resolution with a blockade of deadly star destroyers, the greedy federation of galactic traders has cut off all shipping and supplies to the small, peaceful planet. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates the alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched a young Jedi Knight to settle the conflict. One young Jedi Knight. Yep, Hmm. just the one. Lone Ben. I kind of dig it. Yeah. I like that. If that was the crawl, I'd, I'd be... Just as excited about trade disputes. Yeah, that's the I thing. Am. It's it's uh, it's still like it's so heavy-handed with the confusing politics of it yeah. all. You know, like yeah. the space adventure, which I think is tightened up in the one we actually got. To be oh, honest, for sure. Yeah, Dad, what's a trade dispute? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Utapau is mentioned, which is going to come as a surprise to anyone who's paid close enough attention. Thing is, Naboo was known as Utapau in this early draft. Mm. Lucas changed that at some point. Who knows when, but obviously he, he turned around and saved Utapau for Revenge of the Sith. The movie was also not called The Phantom Menace. Why do I want to say Mentis? <laughs> it was always called The Phantom Mentis. <laughs> <laughs> it was just called The Beginning. It wasn't called The Phantom Menace. 
which is, I remember watching in the uh, behind the scenes, watching Lucas actually write that or seeing it on the page, right? You remember that? Mm. He sits down in his office, uh, you know, with the, the kind of windows on all sides kind of mm-hmm. thing. He writes the beginning. There's a lot different here. Primarily, I would say the biggest thing is Qui-Gon doesn't show up until much later once they get to Coruscant. So it's mainly the story of Obi-Wan. As referenced in the opening crawl, a single young Jedi is dispatched to go settle this conflict. Obi-Wan's older. He's a full Jedi Knight. You know, he's past the trials. He's 30-ish, he's described, which would be five years older than he is in the actual film. We could talk about the math of that, talking about what if in terms of like, we'll get there. Yeah, so with Qui-Gon not showing up until Coruscant, it's a whole different thing. And I guess we could talk about right now what, how that would feel different story-wise in terms of his relationship with Anakin. I mean, the first thing that pops into my mind wasn't even the Anakin thing. It was the, would you know him long enough to care that he dies at the end? Would he have died? I don't know. But if, he, if it was still the same ending, sort of, where he dies in front of uh, Obi-Wan, it's like, I just met him an hour ago. I don't really care that he died, you know? That's a great point. Well, it, it certainly wouldn't have mattered as much or possibly wouldn't have even happened that we got the, the Qui-Gon, the events that, that Qui-Gon was involved in in the Clone Wars when Obi-Wan heard his voice in uh, Mortis Trilogy and uh, when Yoda meets him on Dagobah. What, what would that have even been if you had the guy for like 30 minutes or you know, right. an hour of the film? Yeah, you know, uh, Kit Fisto isn't popping up on Dagobah, you know, like <laughs> whole different vibe. And it also eliminates the big thing that, that Filoni explained in Disney Gallery where yeah. mm-hmm. Qui-Gon is the father figure that Anakin needed. Obi-Wan is the brother. Yeah, what, you mean when when Filoni made me go like, okay, prequels, I see you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it completely changes that. And I would assume that Lucas was conscious of that. That isn't yeah. a happy accident. You know, uh, cagey dialogue aside, that was his intention, right? So we we wouldn't have had any of that. And who knows how differently it would have played. Maybe it would have played better, the brotherhood thing. But the the missing father thing is definitely more pronounced with a potential father figure coming in and then also being lost. You know, it's that like, not to get into like the, uh, the politics or I don't, I don't know if that's the right word of, uh, you hear about like big brothers, big sisters. Like I've heard things mm-hmm. about how this ultimately like potentially not great for a lot of kids because it's like, Oh, here's this new father figure in your life or, or something. But psycho, I can't be here forever because I'm, this is just like this volunteer thing I'm doing right mm-hmm. now. And, and then it lets kids down even further and it mm-hmm. can potentially be worse. Right. Yeah. Right. But Role Models was a hell of a movie, though, Yeah, based on that premise. Sure hell was. Movie. <laughs> so, many, so many things I want to quote right now that are so inappropriate with people watching us. Can't bullshit a bullshitter. <laughs> You're an S-H-I-T-T-Y friend. <laughs> he can spell. <laughs> I have sick thoughts. Sick thoughts. All right, sorry. That's a good one. Thank the Maker, a Role Models podcast. <laughs> so what Lucas did was essentially take his early characterization of Obi-Wan, who was also dressed in all black, by the way, in the early concept and in the description. I like that fact. That's pretty cool. He essentially rolled all that into Qui-Gon, made Obi-Wan younger. And I love, I mean, I love Liam Neeson's, so I'm glad it went this route. Yeah. What if we got Willie and Neeson? Neeson's and Willie. Glee and Neeson. (laughs) (laughs) That's the biggest what if of all. (laughs) It is cool, though, that he didn't, Lucas didn't just like scrap the whole thing. Apparently in, in this draft, many of the same exact lines and mannerisms were just kind of translated over to Qui-Gon. In the age thing, so Qui-Gon is supposed to be about 30. Clearly, Neeson's was not 30. 
when they did this. But if Obi-Wan was 30, this changes the math a little bit on his age in A New Hope, because based on the fact that he's 25 in The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan. And then 90 in A New Hope. (laughs) Right. He's, I want to say, 50. That would have made him 57 in A New Hope. Alec Guinness was 62 when they shot that. Mm. Closer. So if they if he would have been 30, that would have lined right up with Alec Guinness's actual age, even though Alec Guinness looked like he was 111. <laughs> it, w- it would have made a little more sense, and we wouldn't have to kind of retcon it. Isn't that interesting, though? You, your, your brain is telling you that it doesn't work more based on Alec Guinness's physical appearance than the actual age difference. Yeah. I mean, five years for an actor to be playing either way happens all the time like all the time like maybe it's easier when you're younger i guess for sure but like no high school kid in a, in a movie at least not back in the day anyways i think it probably happens more now that like the business is a little bit more monitored and you can't just take advantage of children and do all the terrible shit <laughs> that hollywood has done to people for yeah. decades like but in general like every movie we watched as a kid like at the high school like beverly hills 90210 those kids were in high school with full beards. Like it doesn't. Yeah, I did not have those sideburns in high school. Exactly. I'm forty, almost forty-two, and I still can't grow a sideburn, much less two sideburns, thus necessitating nine hundred two one zero. How weird was it? Even as a kid, I'm like, Mom, that woman is thirty-five years old. Like, yeah. What was her name? Andrea. Like that was. A, yeah, yeah. She was someone's aunt for sure. Yo, that shit's a narc, dude. No way. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's really fascinating to think that like this, what we're talking about plays like a five-year difference that would have actually made them him the proper age. I still think just based on appearance, even if you had a super nerd like us to explain to you, like actually it lines up perfectly. <laughs> and without that, you would still be like, there's no way he got that old in that amount of time because he just yeah. looked old. But now we have the thing, you know, it's it's been like soft retconned, the idea that between I don't I don't know the having to use the force the way he did and all the emotional strain and the the climate of tattooing that you just get roasted. Mm. I mean we've have we spelled it out this way that like obviously the gravitational pull is what keeps us glued to the ground, mm. right? Well, of of the Earth. But we're right, but like we're spinning around the sun, being held by gravity to that. So if you have two giant space objects pulling at your planet, like. Maybe the gravity, you know what I mean? Maybe a way of- Maybe there's more turbulent, gravitational turbulence. That's kind of what I'm getting at. I'm not a scientist. So if you've got two suns and you're doing a figure eight or you're, uh, <laughs> you know, orbiting around both and they're or- one's orbiting the other, who knows what kind of gravitational turbulence is in there? Dude, a figure eight is insane to think about. <laughs> That's what yeah. I was getting at. And I was sort of just, <laughs> and also what about sun just on your skin? Double roast. Double UV. Yeah. Double, yeah, double yeah. roast. <laughs> yeah. There's five years right there. Easy. (laughs) Solved. Also in this early draft, it's Obi-Wan who uncovers the invasion of Naboo, Utapau in the script. He rescues the queen. The tone in general is apparently more mature. He lands on Tatooine, recruits Anakin all on his own. Jar Jar is more of a realistic character who has a regular voice. Wow. Wow. That would have been cool. Wow. Yeah. To see what that might have been like. And there's a lot of different stuff about Gungan City, which I didn't get into. There's a lot in a book called The Secret History of Star Wars. And I kind of browse this little bit about this rough draft. I've listened to it a little bit too, but there's so much more to read. And we'll maybe include this article in the show notes. 
It's also a great thing to listen to on audio. That's how I, I ingested this originally. There's just so much. We're going to do a full-blown episode on the fact, I'm going to say the fact, that Lucas did not have all this planned out ahead of time. He very much made it up as he went along. No, that's not right. No. <laughs> and that's totally okay. Yeah, but it's not right. I wrote the whole thing when I was 10. <laughs> Thanks for being here. <laughs> Slick Willie. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. What else? Darth Maul, yeah, uh, more vocal in this version. He, he was also more vocal, actually, in the, the original cut of the, the final script, but he, just, he, he became what he became because of the edit. Um, the Gungans almost lost the battle. Gungan City was wiped out. That's dark. And there's actually, this could be totally fake news. Is this out there for real? Greedo, in, in a deleted scene, Greedo is in the pod race. There's like an argument. Greedo himself, not mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. of his species. Someone at us, if we're wrong. So who would have been like Anakin's age? It would have been like little kid Greedo? Yeah, I mean, species age differently. Yeah, so who mm-hmm. knows? A lot of different stuff. It could have gone, and who knows what his original notes look like. I would say when Lucas finally becomes one with the Force, we'll probably see all of his original notes. It'll probably all get released. In like a really bitchin' coffee table book? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to read that shit. It's going to be heavy. A lot of gravity. (laughs) Two sons, man. A lot of math. Two sons at the same time. (laughs) But that's about all we have for The Phantom Menace. There's some more stuff in there, like I said, but these are kind of broad brushstrokes, the big things, and the implications are are significant. The biggest takeaway is Qui-Gon. Being, you know, not coming into the yeah, film until later. For sure. That that's sort of the the biggest anomaly. Like we can all talk about Jar Jar's voice till mm-hmm. we're blue in the face, but the real thing that matters here is what it would have been like if Qui Gon appeared later. Would have been cool for Maul to have some more lines. That would have been cool. Yeah. I wonder if the dynamic in terms of the chemistry would have been different if it was just Obi Wan and Anakin, and Qui Gon was kind of tertiary later, and if maybe Anakin was a little bit older. I wonder if that would have completely changed the vibe and then translated to something that is like easier to kind of grab onto, to kind of focus on. Like we have with the original trilogy, it, it was Han, Luke, and Leia. And that trio, that chemistry was undeniable. It was like the, the heart of that film. What if we had almost like a budding buddy cop dynamic early on with them? If the ages were slightly tweaked and, it was, and the focus was just on the two of them from jump pretty much? What if, you know? I don't I think to me, like, that has to be why he changed it, you know? It's like, it just was like a relationship. Like, if you get think about the lines of, like, it's like poetry, it rhymes. There had to be some sort of, like, mentorship that mattered to Obi-Wan when Qui-Gon died. But now that I'm saying these words with my mouth, um, oh, oh, you didn't meet Luke or Obi-Wan until, like, a third through the, A New Hope. So yeah. Yeah. they still had some sort of relationship, too. So, I mean... With the right script, anything's possible, but I like it better this way. Agreed. Moving on to Attack of the Clones, there's very, very little out there, if anything, in terms of alternate script, alternate story stuff. We looked, but we didn't find much. Do you think that there's any chance, this can be very quick because we keep it positive around here, but the reaction to The Phantom Menace kept the doors so closed, locked up tight? of all things to this day Mm. there wasn't anything for anyone to find because it was like strict super gnarly like i think he was bummed i think he was bummed on the reaction to the first one yeah how could he not be oh he was vocally bummed yeah right so i don't you know just to not have any kind of like b-roll stuff to not have any kind like we have this doc that we talk about about the prequels is there a lot of attack of the clones in that 
I don't think so. If I'm remembering it right. Everything about Attack of the Clones and the one that I've watched, or the vast majority, is about the fact that they shot it digitally for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, almost the first half is about technology. Then they get into a lot about Hayden. They talk a lot about Django Fett. It's a different vibe. Yeah, that, a different vibe is enough to explain why there's no, you know, the files are in the computer. Like yeah. It's, yeah. I think that's a good point. Highly possible. All right, moving on to Revenge of the Sith. We started to disappoint on Attack of the Clones, but there's a lot on Revenge of the Sith. And Lucas was actually pretty vocal about the changes that he made, especially with Anakin's journey and his motivation and things like that. There's at least one earlier draft out there. There's definitely a shooting script that is not everything that was final. They worked from a script. They went back, checked things out, rewrote, did reshoots, and then sort of added and subtracted I don't know if this one that I'm referencing here is actually seems much earlier, but we've got quite a bit to try to go through here. So let's get into it. One early idea, actually, this is pre script that I'm about to mention here. Han Solo was going to show up in this as an orphan being raised by Chewie on Kashyyyk. Whoa. Hmm. Wow. I don't, I don't I, think I mind that. Like, no. I don't know. At, the, at that point, I'm trying to put myself in like, what did it come out? 2005. Doesn't seem like it would bum me out. I would have loved to see it. But it does make the universe smaller. Mm-hmm. To put, yeah. I think that that had to have been the big thing. Like, really, we're gonna bring everybody. And, yeah, and as we still, uh, like, we talk about all the time, I still don't understand everybody's gripe with Solo. I just still don't understand it. And the the way they met in that film is is so rad. And and the yeah, yeah the, the, the like birth of their relationship and watching it happen in film was like it was amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I talk about that film all the time. How. It's the first time we got to really see, it's maybe not the right word, but, you know, like humanize Chewie, like to, to give him depth and, mm-hmm. and real like weight as a conversation, as a character and all that. So we wouldn't have gotten that, you know? This is true. I also just can't shake the Jungle Book image in my head yeah. of little Han running around barefoot with Chewie in the woods. Yeah, because it's, it's not like they're going to have goofy. him like in, 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 in little little blue trousers with gold stripes on the side. Like that's not going <laughs> to not, not gonna happen. So yeah, it definitely would have been like a Disney film. Would have been Jungle Book. Uh, before Star Wars was owned by Disney. <laughs> Let's see what else. Qui-Gon was supposed to come back as a force ghost and plead with Anakin not to turn to the dark side. I will sign up for that. Yeah, don't mind that at all. I, w- yeah. I would enjoy watching that. And it would make so much sense, going back to Filoni's monologue about the thing. Yep. Being the father figure, more conflict is always good. Yeah, that would have been epic, man. Yeah, classic Neeson's. <laughs> one more before we get into actual kind of differences in plot in this other draft. At one point, there was the idea that Palpatine's face would slowly transform through the whole prequel trilogy by his his use of the dark side basically so that's a good idea yeah he would kind of be like keeping his face together essentially like when he's trying to be the chancellor but when he's fully in emperor mode he's just he's all melted looking Mm. so as he gets into revenge of the sith it's like he can't keep it together anymore he's just so you know he's like a meth head with the red nose with the you know the broken blood vessels all over the place (laughs) so i think that's dope yeah Me too. Here's here's my thought about that. Great idea. Would look terrible in 2005 though. I'd, I'd yeah. sign up for that now, like with the advances and the technology. But it would have looked terrible in 2005. Yeah, would have been like a little bit of makeup at a time. Like, yeah. It, it yeah. would have been strange. I agree. Miss Doubtfire. You remember the SNL Teen Wolf skit where 
He's like, ah, oh, he's changing into the wolf. He's like, ah, and he goes down to the sink and he pops up. He's got like one more chunk of hair. And down, <laughs> yes. oh, he's got another one over here. Yeah, and I, so I, good. I mean, man, that Nick, you might have just made a great point as to why that didn't happen. I mean, they yeah. might have just been like, just logistically, this just doesn't work. Like, yeah. how are we going to monitor what's changed in every scene and mm-hmm. every film? You know, that's a tall order when you're already shooting the entire thing on green screen and everything's. I mean, it's a massive project. All right. Getting into this draft, this is something that Lucas mentioned. This isn't specifically from this draft, but this is a larger thing that was included even in the final uh, shooting script. Originally, Anakin's turn was more about feeling betrayed by the Jedi than his relationship with Padme and the whole thing about her dying and all that. The, the, the idea that, she was, that he saw visions of her dying didn't actually even come in until later because Lucas, once he started seeing the dailies and seeing the the edits come in, he didn't feel like it was sufficient motivation to turn with the version of the script that they were shooting. Mm-hmm. The, like the political kind of like tension with them and the jealousy wasn't enough. He had to introduce the idea of Padme dying, those dreams and all of that to really flip the switch on him. And we're, we're explaining that away that still she died of a broken heart, right? That's <laughs> sad as hell. Okay. I feel like it can be argued that it's apparent he backed himself into a corner there. Yeah. Yeah. Do it, doing this later, adding those mm-hmm. shots later, deciding maybe on the death later then. Yeah. You know, if that wasn't always in the script and all that was part of motivation, it's like, then we get to the death and it feels, feels like, well, what, what, how, how do, how does she die? Right. Like, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, it's like, there is the, the, the age old story that's in, you know, Shakespeare and whatever else where a, a woman dies in childbirth. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I buy that. I buy dying in childbirth. Yeah. You, you, you know, Ryan, you're really good at bringing up like a uh, songwriting parallels to with in star Wars and stuff like that. And yeah. this might've been, Hey, I wrote this script. We filmed it. It sucks. We need a new bridge. You know, mm-hmm. like we need a new part here. Hundred you know? percent. I feel like that's totally what could have happened. Uh, but I can speak from experience that off more often than not on any record I've ever made, the song that like we need one more is mm-hmm. my least favorite song. Yeah. So yeah. again, I'm not I'm not trying to like bring it down. I just think this. You know, a lot of times when I'm on the show, I enjoy my my role here is like I'm learning this for the first time, and I like hmm. I like reacting to it. You know, and it's like to know that he put it in later like that. And and the years of debate that it's caused, like, oh, okay, so she just she just died, like, and and you know we make a joke about like she's lost the will to live, like that was <laughs> the line, and it's just <laughs> um, it's been talked about just you know forever and ever and ever. So I, I think that now that I know that, it's like, well, yeah, you you know, I get it, I totally get the motivation. I I probably agree that just the Jedi betrayal of like you can't be master. That's that is not enough to create Darth Vader. I'm totally on board with that. Yeah. But it also makes you less redeemable because yeah. you're just a jealous piece exactly, of shit. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Which the character was very much played that way through a lot of it. Just a kind of whiny, you know, and we talked about that too, but, or directed that way, whichever, how, we will never know. But yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's adding a song in the middle of the session, the middle of the recording session. That's what he did. And, and uh, conceptually it all works. It always has. The, the story's freaking perfect. You know, Padme and, and Anakin, in, from a writing standpoint and like a con- conceptual standpoint, it's brilliant. Earlier drafts also focused a lot more on the political conflict between the Jedi, the Senate, and Palpatine. We get a little bit of this, right? We get like the Jedi not trusting Palpatine. We get the Senate not trusting him. The Jedi not necessarily agreeing with the Senate's decisions, but it, there was apparently much more conflict and much more distrust 
of each of the other in the original. And there's a lot centered around how best to end the Clone Wars because they have different motivations for for ending or not the Clone Wars. Jedi don't like taking orders from the Senate. They prefer to deal with Palpatine, but they also don't trust Palpatine. Apparently, there was a lot more focus on that. Speaking of this in a very real way, something that did make it to the final shooting script, and there's a deleted scene, which you can watch on YouTube. You can watch it on the bonus features of the DVD or the the Blu-ray, and it is awesome. I watched it earlier. It is so good. I wish it was in the movie. There's a deleted scene where Padme, Bail Organa, Mon Mothma, and three other senators are sitting around. I want to say it's it's maybe in Padme's apartment. I think so, yeah. And Bail and Mon Mothma talk about forming a proper rebellion, for real. Like, they're saying, we're getting together, we're forming this, and Padme cuts them off like, no, I don't, you, you said enough, I get it. Don't say that out loud, essentially. It's really, really good. And I, I'm sure it was a kind of thing where, pace-wise, it just didn't fit, but it makes it so much better. It is a little slow, that part, that I, I think yeah, yeah. it's more of a pacing was cut for time, basically. It's also it's also a big idea to to not follow up on in the script. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we get indications of it with Bale and Obi-Wan at the end. Yeah. And there there are hints here and there, but man, it would have scored a lot of nostalgia points and it would have really put a bow on it, I think. It might have also just painted them into a corner a little bit, like because it was cut and it was open-ended, like when did the rebellion start? We don't know. Now we know, yeah. you know, like, I mean, kind of almost immediately, but then you have like, you know, rebels and everything else they've been able to add in between there. But if they put something in the movie that was almost explaining what happened between episode three and four with too much explanation, we might've lost out on a lot of good content, like after Disney bought Lucasfilm. Even before, yeah, because there's so much in the Clone Wars in terms of like setting up characters and mm-hmm. setting up things like, you know, Anakin and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka training Saw and everyone on Onderon. So Lucas had to have been like, well, I could put this in here and just explain it in a little bit of dialogue or I could just leave it wide open and just make a bunch more content. I'll just do that in three years. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get that started. That was the plan the whole time. I was always going to do the Clone Wars. <laughs> But it's a great scene. We'll put that in the show notes. Here's a big one. The tension with Mace Windu and Anakin is high, hot and heavy in this original draft. And the way it goes down at the end with the battle between Mace and Anakin is straight up just between these two. There's a lot more criticism of Anakin from Mace Windu, specifically for killing Dooku. Mace claims that if he was taken alive, that could have helped end the Clone War sooner. Mace ends up spying on a conversation between Anakin and Padme and finds out about the marriage and her pregnancy Mm. and then goes and confronts Anakin, tells him he's going to turn him over to the Jedi Council. He says Anakin's going to be expelled, and there's actually a line where he says, I I don't know what Anakin says to him, but Mace responds, oh, I know they will. I'm counting on it. Hmm. As if he's wanted him out for, you know, a long time, right? Mm -hmm. This ends in a duel between the two of them. There's a tunnel leads to a landing platform above the city and Anakin uses the force and his lightsaber to basically collapse the tunnel and the platform. Mace Windu ends up kind of dangling from a support beam. He falls to his death when the platform gives out. So yeah, he doesn't chop his arm off, but they're battling and he, he sends him to his death. Like just the two of them. You know what I mean? He's not like, no, no, I need this guy. Don't kill him. And then he straight up kills Mace Windu. Yeah, it's classic Star Wars duel, dark side. Yeah. Mm. With no, like, uh, pushing from Palpatine. That would have been interesting. Mm -hmm. 
So then Anakin goes to Palpatine after to tell him what happened because they're still very close. And Palpatine is like, it was self-defense. It's all good. You're obviously happy that he's dead. And then basically, like you said, Ryan, it's classic dark side stuff. I guess the idea is that Palpatine senses the dark in him. And this is like his opportunity to reveal himself (laughs) to open the trench coat. (laughs) And... He tells him his true identity is is Darth Sidious. He tells him about manipulating both sides of the war. And instead of wanting to turn Palpatine in, like we get in the in the final film, he's actually intrigued by the dark side. And in this whole conversation, this is where the full seduction happens. You know, I, I guess he knights him or whatever you want to call it. He dubs him Darth Vader. He later gives him a, a red kyber crystal. It's full on. You're You're now part of the dark side and Anakin's about it, which is... I don't know if that would be... Hum- it just depends on what comes after it. Yeah. Like, mm. that all sounds amazing. It just depends on what how the, how the script plays out. Yeah, like, yeah. none of that connects to oh, where's the relationship of Obi-Wan and yeah. why Obi-Wan right. is on Mustafar. Like- so speaking of Obi-Wan, he actually is part of the, the group that come to arrest Palpatine. So it's Obi-Wan, Kit Fisto, and then the two other Jedi who are there. This happens or after everything on Utapau... Grievous is dead. Uh, that's that's mostly unchanged. Obi-Wan flies back to Coruscant. He talks to Yoda. There, there's a lot of similar stuff. But I wonder, I mean, would we buy the turn more if the tension was between Mace and Anakin? Or does it have to be between him and Obi-Wan? Well, wh- whatever, whatever we're referencing right now, alternate script-wise, just sitting here thinking about it, it certainly ties more into Anakin turning based on his feelings about the Jedi and not his relationship with Padme. Mm-hmm. Right. So those two things may have been like kind of hand in hand in this early version of the script. Like all the stuff that you're revealing right now may have been the way he was going until he did, saw it and decided, I, I, or I don't, well, I guess not because they were already shooting it. Right. But like, yeah, because you said he decided the Padme thing after they had already been shooting the film. So this definitely couldn't have been the script. And then they just changed all of this. Right, this this was earlier, yeah, for sure. Interesting. It all seems way more... There's some weird parallel between, like, where we always joke that the prequels are just... It's way too much based in, like, politics and trade disputes and stuff. Yeah, kind of like, like our podcast. procedural. Yeah. <laughs> it's very procedural. And all of these points seem very procedural, and there's no emotion. So mm-hmm. I feel like adding the Padme stuff and adding... The fact that him and Obi-Wan were basically brothers, like that adds emotion to the, and weight to the story as opposed to being like, well, I'm not a master and Mace is mean to me. Right, yeah. right. Now, yeah. I'm, now I'm a bad guy, you know? Yeah, much more personal. And I, I just found this again. So here's how it all connects. The scene that we get in the final where Mace Windu, Palpatine, and Anakin are in that kind of standoff and Mace goes to deliver the death blow on Palpatine. Anakin chops Mace Windu's arm off and so on. That kind of standoff is very much the same, but it's Obi-Wan instead of Mace Windu. Mm. And even early on when Palpatine, he does it, you know, the spin thing, kills the few Jedi, and there's just one left, that's all the same except it's Obi-Wan. Then Anakin shows up just like he did with Mace Windu, but it's Obi-Wan, and there's a similar confrontation. There, There is kind of that tension, that moment, like, what do I do? Like, do I side with Palpatine? Do I kill Palpatine? Do I kill Obi-Wan? He, there's a power struggle. There's an emotional struggle. There's an internal struggle with Anakin. But ultimately, a very similar thing happens. Obi-Wan ends up getting hit with lightning. There's a big fall, but he survives it. And in the end, they still end up 
on Mustafar or something like it. Point being, at the very end, they're on the hillside, but they both jumped to it. There was no high ground, flip, anything like that. They're at the very end. Obi-Wan's completely exhausted, and he looks like he's about to lose. Anakin's about to go in for the killing stroke, but right as this happens, a bunch of lava from the river explodes and just lands on Anakin. I mean, I don't know how you don't just get like burned alive instantly, but... Mm. And then Obi-Wan cuts off his one good arm, cuts off his legs as he falls to the ground. And basically, Obi-Wan gets lucky. <laughs> I don't like any of that. Yeah. And I, I'm allowed to say that because it didn't actually happen. I can be <laughs> negative about it. I don't like it. Yeah, it's, it's not the same. It's, just, it's, it's almost like that is such an emotional scene. And for it to happen at all at this point, it had to happen the way that it did happen. There's no like yeah. cheap like... Oh, Anakin was going to win, but the liquid hot magma got me, you know, like, nah, nah, nah. Magma. Magma. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the idea of Anakin almost winning, actually. Yeah. And some version where, I mean, ultimately Anakin lost because of his arrogance, you know, he, even though Obi-Wan had the high ground, he went for it. He lost, right? But I do like the idea of it, of it seeming like Obi-Wan's going to lose and he has no choice, but to kill Anakin, right? Like the whole, the whole way it's like, he's, he's just defending himself, right? Mm -hmm. There is something about like that swinging of the lightsaber as he just crosses over his head. He could have just flipped and turned around and re-engaged, but he (laughs) chopped off three of his limbs. Just like, I'm going to get (laughs) you, you know, as he's going over, it doesn't seem as defensive of a move. It seems a little more offensive right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I get the appeal of Obi-Wan only striking the final blow in defense of Anakin's potential final blow. You know what I'm saying? Like a last ditch, like, if I don't defend myself, I'm going to die. And then he happens to win. Yeah. yeah. Obi-Wan is not going on the offensive and chopping limbs off until he's 50 years old, 55 years old in the desert and is a salty old bastard. Yeah. But not at this phase of his life, you know? So I, some elements of this I think would have been cool. I don't know. Not that that moment wasn't perfect and not that I ever watch it without crying, but I could see how some of this would work, but I agree that the luck of the lava thing is just dumb. Here, I'll fix it. You ready? The liquid hot magma happens, uh-huh. but Anakin is so enraged and dark sidey that he's just like, I'm even more mad now and I'm yeah. even more strong now. Yeah, that so he's just like flaming Anakin, yeah, like yeah. charging at him with yeah, a yeah, red yeah. lightsaber. That, would, that yeah. would fix that for sure. That'd be hella heavy, but that didn't happen. What if it did? What if? <laughs> What if? For I am the watcher or whatever. What do they say in the what if thing? What is, uh, what's his name from Westworld say? You know, that's the narrator, right? Yeah. Have you guys watched what if? I've only seen like the first episode right before tour. So I kind of don't remember. It's pretty sick. What is that dude's name? Jeffrey Wright. That's right. Jeffrey Wright. Yep. So that's it for Revenge of the Sith. I don't know. We could have gotten some tweaks that would have been cool, but it was such an epic film that I don't know. Actually, we talked about uh, stuff from other epic films and we still had fun with it. I I don't know. This was entertaining regardless. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Basically, when you're like a screenwriter, songwriter, whatever, very rarely do you uh, write something right away that is perfect. Right. Needs to be tweaked or you need need to be told you're insane. Well, I'm going to say, though, the times when you do, that's your hit song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like when you write it on the spot, which doesn't happen often where you write something where you're like, that's it. That's mm-hmm. it. That's done. That's it. That's the song that you're like, 
never would have expected it. And it's the one, yeah. it's the one like, yeah, I could be wrong and someone can at me and tell, I might not see it cause I don't check my socials as much as I used to. Uh, but I read somewhere that they wrote Adele and whoever the other writers were, but wrote hello, like in that session that day, Yeah, they sat down and then it was just, that was done. Like that's when you write your best shit. So yeah, I think there's something to be said for why the original trilogy is as magical as it was because there wasn't the pressure. There wasn't that second album mm-hmm. pressure. It was just writing from the heart, you know? And yeah. Uh, yeah. some of these alternatives come from that, like, well, now the possibilities are endless. We could be this kind of band. We could be that kind of band. We could, you know what I mean? And I think that, that maybe the prequels suffer a little bit because of that. But I think overall going through this again, as I do often on the pod, learning things for the first time, I, I think we got the best versions of the films that we, that we could get. I don't, I don't think these changes, maybe short of Jar Jar's voice, are, are something that would have improved the experience mm-hmm. in a major way. Yep. I, I think the decisions to land where he landed were the, were overall based on on this episode of the podcast the right choices. I would agree. And you think about think about writing a song all in one session for a film that's just literally impossible. Uh, of course, of course. But you think about more like scenes in a film as individual songs on an album, right? I think though you could take what I'm saying though and apply it to the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, like. Yes, he had the idea for this space opera for a long time. But if you think about like the time where he was working on American Graffiti and THX and all these things, like the original thing came together, I think like in its real pure form when he was like, okay, I'm attacking this, I'm hitting it. And as you say, like you can't write a film in a day. It's a very different experience. But let's do like, do you believe the Bible is literal and God created the earth in seven days? Like what, what what's wrong with you? Like, right. So what's a day, right? So in filmmaking days, right? Like, I mean, we don't need to get into all this on the podcast, but I don't think any of that's legit, but it's science, it's called science, but yeah. either way, uh, what's a day, right? Like, so one day of songwriting is two years of film writing. You know what I mean? In a, in a, when you're really on it right. and you're nailing it as a writer. So that happened for the original film. And then it took, you know, almost 20 years for the next ones. Like, that's the sophomore album. That's like the, yeah. I'm going to get in the studio. Um, you know, I, I'm guilty. Like, I did it. I'm going to move to New York and, like, vibe out and write songs. <laughs> like, whereas the first time around, you just get in the garage with your buds and you write some jams. It's a total, you know, and that's, yeah. to me, that is a good comparison for, for I think it's pretty accurate for how the, the original three films versus these three films were written. There's way more trial and error for these second ones because it took two decades to complete. Like, there's mm. just, just do the math, you know? And you also add the, the false sense of confidence that you get when you come off of a hit, the false sense of confidence that is instilled in you by the people who write the checks. Yep. Or you're just all, all the yes people around yeah. you. Lucas had all of that. hundred uh, you know, percent. Like, yeah, you got, dude, you got this. You don't, 100%. You should, you're the one to direct this. You're the one to write it. I you can know? fully, fully relate to that as well from my time in the band in that like post hit, I'm air quote, if you're, if you're not watching as a patron and you're listening, I'm air quoting hit. It is true that you can be making the, the worst decisions and not that all the decisions we made were bad, but we were made, I uh, personally, I can't speak for anyone but myself either, but I was making some really stupid decisions and no one tells you to stop. It's, it is yes, people. That's exactly like you say, Adam. It's just like they want you to just keep the the money machine going. So just stay happy. If that mm-hmm. if you think that's fun, you do that. You know, like, yeah. and so 
I, I yeah, I, we know from all the research we've done and the documentaries we've watched and the behind the scenes that we've seen. I mean, you know, Spielberg saying no, this is your thing to do. Like, wh- it's crazy. It's crazy how how yeah. uh, enabled he was to just do whatever he wanted. But I think it's I think it's normal. I don't. You can't blame him. You can't like. It's nobody's fault. It's just a natural thing that happens in in entertainment uh, in general. Like. You get yes people around you when you're successful, and sometimes it's hard to bring you back down to, to earth. So I, all this is just to say that I think Lucas had a lot more time to explore all these different options for what this could be and what, it, what the story could be and how it could happen compared to the first time. And, and also to say that I think in the end we did get the best version of his vision mm-hmm. under the circumstances. No, yeah, I agree. Given the circumstances, and like you said, the open-endedness, it's hard to write something just to keep it simple. You know what I mean? Especially when you have all these new tools and abilities, you know, like uh, new budgets, new, it's fun. It's crazy how parallel this, this conversation we're having now is to like being in a successful, you know, Mm -hmm. major label level band and all the stuff that goes into that and having lived through that. Like I can only imagine how similar it is to go from like an indie filmmaker to George Lucas, like overnight, Mm -hmm. you know, I know he was George Lucas before, but he wasn't George Lucas, you know, like, so yeah, it had to have been really, really crazy for his brain to keep it simple. As you say, the original trilogy is punk rock. The prequel trilogy is major label debut. Yep. (laughs) And the sequel trilogy is the singer got kicked out of the band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But Hey, Van Hagar made some great shit. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know, but uh, all that said, he, he finished obviously super strong and i love revenge of the sith more and more oh yeah as time as time goes by i loved it when it came out i i had my ups and downs with it i'm and i'm back to just absolutely loving it you know i don't don't remember where it was in my order but it's up there you know Mm -hmm. go back and reference that episode it's great man would you like a quote of the week boys i would love one ryan key do it look i'm just this kid from toronto who got his start in school plays i still live with my folks who make me mow the grass and take out the garbage then one day, I'm on this multi-million dollar set surrounded by R2-D2 and C-3PO. Every nuance was surreal. The saber, a thrill. The outfit and cloak, mind-boggling. Meeting R2-D2, an out-of-body experience. End quote. Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Again, watch the behind-the-scenes of Attack of the Clones. That dude is ecstatic to be there. He is over the f***ing moon to be there. And if you don't love his performance, still... You're going to get something out of watching this and especially seeing his audition tape. I'm stoked that he's back oh, man. in the franchise. I'm stoked that he's back engaging with fans, seeing pictures of him at cons right now just warms the heart. And yeah. I, so cool. I, I, look, it's incredible. I think there's something to this. I don't hope that this is that he's doing this in some sort of uh, aggressive or like vengeful way. Aggressive negotiations. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I do hope that based on the toxicity that can surround this franchise, people who do have a problem with his performance. It's not my favorite performance from a character that I wanted different things out of, but I'm me. I'm a fan. I didn't, I, uh, sorry, bro. That's, you don't, you didn't write it. You didn't direct it. You didn't, you know, like I'm not going to go out of my way to try to make Hayden Christensen's life quality of life worse because I'm not, it's not my favorite performance in the history of star Wars, but other people do. So again, I hope he's not like, um, acting out of vengeance but i do hope there's a little bit of a chip on his shoulder i do i hope there's a little bit of a point to prove like i am anakin skywalker 
Yeah. And you're you're about to see what that really means to me, mm-hmm. what it's meant to me for the past 20 years now. I, I hope that that's in there. And I, I, I hope it comes from a place of like determination and inspiration, not like revenge, you know, but yeah. like yeah. You, he can't not be thinking that like, yeah. all right, yeah. everybody watch this, you know, and, I, and it's going to be epic. I just think also like Anna, like just to riff off of that for a second, I think for sure that'll be a, a chip on his shoulder a little bit. But just like analytically, you have... 15, 16 years of complaints on file about his performance and the script and blah, 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 like all that stuff. And a canalytically. Plus you have Deborah Chow. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Deborah Chow directing it all. Like there's yeah. no way it's going to be bad. No. Like there's just no way. It's going to fully redeem, talk about redeeming Anakin Skywalker, it's going to redeem Hayden Christensen. Absolutely. It's analytically impossible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We love you. Patrons, thanks for being here with us as we're recording live. If you want to be one of these people, you listener, you can be a Jedi Council tier patron. Hang out with us, interact as we record. All the ups and downs, all the mess of us trying to put this thing together. If you just want to support the podcast at any level, you can get in on the citizen level, Patreon, get you access to the Discord server where we're talking stuff all the time, sharing memes, talking about Armor Party our sister podcast, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can do that. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, it's at thankthemakerpod on Instagram, at thankthemaker on Twitter. All of my personal stuff is at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. And I'm at Nick Bayside on Twitter and Instagram and still cranking out the radio radio show on Spotify. Please listen. I'm at a point where i uh, got a good little crew over there, so I would love more of you to come check out my little radio hour. If you want Thank the Maker merch, thankthemakermerch.com is where you can find that. Just shirts right now. We're going to have some other stuff at some point, I promise. We better. I need. I want stuff. I want a coffee cup. <laughs> After I want the New York Times quotes us on our coverage of the Star <laughs> Cruiser and we go mainstream, yeah. that merch store is going to pop off, bro. <laughs> if you want more Star Wars podcast content from our Thank the Maker Network... You can follow Armor Party Show anywhere you get podcasts. Listen to that. That's all about costuming, armor building, hosted by Mike Forrester, who I'm sure you've heard on this podcast. It's great. Follow them at Armor Party Show on Instagram. Thanks again for listening. Nick, great to have you back. Good to be back. And until next week, may the force be with you. 